Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I think I can officially still say good morning for about another 30 seconds or so, so good morning. It's great to see all of you. How many of you are hungry to meet God in His Word today? Are you? You hungry? Yeah, you're hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. You realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? He's the one that feeds us at the deepest part of our being. And we need His Word, we need His presence more than anything, more than bread, more than life itself. He is life, amen? So we've been doing a series in our church called Ears to Hear, Hearing God's Voice. And my message today is hear God's voice in our dark times. Hear God's voice in our dark dark times. A man went ice fishing for the very first time. Suddenly, while ice fishing, he heard a voice. There are no fish under the ice. He ignored it, and he moved to another area, cut a hole, and tossed his line in. Again, he heard a booming voice. There are no fish under the ice. He nervously looked up, and he asked, Lord, is that you? No, it's the rink manager. There are no fish under this ice. How many of you know that kind of is a great explanation of what happens to us many times in our relationship with God, right? We, we're like, is that you, Lord? Is, am I, is that you? Is that too much pizza? Is that what's going on in my life? Am I just projecting my own desires? We struggle. Because we know how easy it is for our own hearts to deceive us. We know how easy it is to um, not have a vision, but have a wishing. You know what a wishing is? It's when somebody calls a vision a wish, and it's really what they want, and they, they make everything fit it, right? We, we often do that, and so we get concerned about whether or not we're able to hear God clearly. And we, we know that we live in a time where we have to hear God clearly. Every one of us in this room, we... We have got to hear God in the time that we live. I mean, we're living in a time of distraction and disinformation and incredible deception. We're promised in the Bible that we'll hear our good shepherd's voice. The scripture says, where is sheep? And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. So that's the promise. And and I am holding on to that promise. I am trusting that God is better able to guide me, speak to me, and lead me than the devil is to deceive me. Do you believe that? And yet we live in a time when it seems like a lot of people are more confident in in darkness and darkness's ability to deceive. I hear Christians today and, and I've never seen God's people so afraid. I can't believe the level of fear that Christians are living in. I mean, we act like we haven't hitched ourselves to the winning team, but we've hitched ourselves to the devil's team. And yet we know the scripture's clear. We are connected to the one who has conquered it all. He's won it all. He's the all in all. Amen? So I want to continue to look at the idea of hearing God's voice, and we're going to look at this boy, Samuel, today. If you remember the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when God speaks to this boy and he has to learn to discern the voice of God. Now, before we go there, I just want to kind of review where we've been the last few weeks that we've talked about this. The first week, 
um, we, we talked about the fact that there is a challenge and there is a promise of hearing God's voice. And the challenge is simply this. We have got to hear God over every other voice. And we live in a time where it's very difficult to do that. You think about all the constant media input that we're receiving, the amount of time we're on social media, all the voices yelling at us, compelling us, yelling and screaming and arguing, the level of anger, the level of confusion, all of this stuff is pulling on us. And, and somewhere in there is God talking to his people. The second week, we talked about the fact that God's voice and God's words are life, that we have to really begin to believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that God's word is even more important than our food, than our breath, than our heartbeat, that God himself is life, right? That we have got to hear him, to live. His words are life. His voice is life. And then last week I heard that Pastor Raul did a masterful job on hearing God's voice and doing what he says. I heard so many great reports from that message. And so today we're going to continue on hearing God's voice and we're going to talk about hearing God's voice in dark times. And I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's a familiar story if you've been you know, in church or around the Bible much. But I'll have it up on the screen. If you have your own Bible and you want to follow along, you can do that as well. But 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Let's look at it together. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord, listen carefully to the words here, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Now Eli was this old priest. He was the head priest, the chief priest in the priesthood of Israel. And he had grown very old and kind of lazy and, and just kind of liked to lay around. Wasn't, you know, he'd, he'd grown dull over time and he was losing his eyesight. Okay, so we're back to verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That was the, the menorah, the lamp of God, the seven candlesticks that burned. And usually they would burn out just as nighttime was ending as dawn, and as dawn was coming. So the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Think about the symbolic language. And Samuel, this boy, was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Okay, he wasn't right in the ark's presence because there was a curtain that separated them and the priests could only go in on the Day of Atonement one time a year. But right outside the curtain, here was Samuel laying as close as he could to the presence of God. Sleeping in the presence of God. I love that. Or at least lying down in the presence of God. And the Lord called Samuel and he, and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. So Samuel hears the Lord's voice and he runs to Eli, his mentor, the priest who's teaching him and raising him. And, um, and, 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 but he says to him, I did not call you, go lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. 
And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Notice the language here. And the Lord came and stood. I love that. Calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Okay, if you're taking notes and you want to you know, kind of have some things written down here. The first point you want to put down in the main, I have two main points today. The first point is simply this. Dark times lead to a lack of God's voice and vision. If we look at this text, dark times really are the result of a lack of God's voice and vision. A little bit of background to the book of 1 Samuel. This was indeed a really dark time in Israel. This is at the end of what we see in the book of Judges. If any of you have ever read the book of Judges, it's one of the darkest, lowest time in the nation of Israel. Everybody was doing what was right in their own sight. That is a constant refrain you see throughout the book. And it ends, one of the very last verses of the book. And every, there was no king in Israel and every person did what was right in their own sight. So they were a people who were running here, there, and everywhere. They weren't following God. They were backslidden. They were away from God. They were being oppressed by their enemies. They were being oppressed by their sin. It was a really dark and evil time. And this ruling priest, Eli, and his sons are not very good leaders at all. His sons are eating the meat from the sacrifices nearly raw. Now, if you know uh, Israeli custom and, and what was required of the priests is what would happen is they would, they would cook. After the sacrifices, they would take some of the meat and they would cook it. And the, the meat that the, the priest would come in when the meat was all done being cooked and they would take this long fork and they would thrust it into the pot and whatever they pulled out, that was their portion for their family and they could eat it. But these priests were coming when the food was still raw and they were grabbing it. And we know, you know, the scripture was very clear. They weren't to eat raw food. They, weren't, they were not to do that. That was breaking the law. That was sin. And they didn't care. Not only were they doing that, but they were sleeping with these different women who served in the court of the temple. They were sleeping with them. And they, they were carrying on all this stuff thinking that nobody saw and nobody knew. It was a really immoral, a really terrible time, a low time in the nation's history. And Eli refused to discipline him. He kind of slapped him on the wrist and said, guys, you know, don't do that. It's sin. It's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. But he didn't really take any strong actions. So God spoke to him. He met him and he came to him and he said, I'm going to take the priesthood away from you and your family you're no, you, your family line's not going to continue on. You're going to be judged because you haven't considered me and my ways precious, and because you haven't, you're going to be judged. Okay, so Eli's like, okay, yeah, sounds good. That sounds like the word of the Lord. That's all he did. He didn't repent. I really believe the scripture makes it clear that if Eli had said, Lord, you're right, and his heart had broken over it, and he'd gone to his sons, and he'd rebuked them, and he'd stepped them down from that role and kept them from it, God would have blessed the nation, and he would have continued in the priesthood, and, his, and he would have had other sons if he needed to. But instead, he just kind of, you know, okay, God, yeah, whatever. And so this is the background. The whole nation 
was in desperate need of leaders who would listen to God and live morally. In many ways, you can see parallels to our own time, amen? Sadly, in our time, political, corporate, and even some spiritual leaders are way off course. They're doing things in the name of Jesus that are not okay, right? They're not okay at all. And we live in a time when it's like there are so many voices out there yelling and compelling us, and and, and at times even our spiritual leaders are giving us confusing messages, and we look around and we're like, what's God really saying? And I'll tell you, the best way to know is for you and I to get in this book, to get in prayer, to get in community, and to begin to compare what God's saying and let the voice of the Lord come to us because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established. Amen? But I'm getting ahead of myself. So with that said, let's look at this text. What's the first thing I want you to notice? The first thing is this boy, Samuel, ministered to the Lord. And yet the scripture says he didn't even yet know the Lord or his voice, meaning he wasn't in his office as a prophet yet. Okay, Um, many scholars point out that he ministered to the Lord by serving Eli. Listen to what the New Living Translation actually says in that first verse. It says, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. The beauty of this is that although Eli at this time was not a good leader, God still recognized his authority and considered Samuel's service to Eli to be service to him. It's an interesting principle that we see throughout the scripture. A lot of times, you know, we get this idea, and I want you to think about the time we live. We get this idea that because there's incompetent leadership or leadership is doing things that are immoral and wrong, that therefore they don't have authority. But the reality is, is all authority is given from God. And even though authorities might do the wrong thing, it doesn't mean they quit being authorities. And Eli's off in left field and his sons are off in left field, and yet God still honored his role. And when, when little Samuel served in the temple, God saw that service to Eli as actual service to him. Powerful. Secondly, God's voice was rare, and there was a lack of prophetic vision. It says the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. You know, today there's a lot of so-called prophets who claim to be speaking for God. But over time, it becomes apparent that they're not hearing God or speaking for Him. God's voice and vision for His people has actually become quite rare. In a time where there are so many sounds and there's so much noise and there's so many people that are proclaiming that they're hearing God and that they're speaking for God, we watch over time and over and over their predictions miss it and they're wrong. And then they come back and say, well, it's because the church didn't pray enough. We need to have more intercession. And over and over and over again, the so-called prophets prophesy wrongly and we step back and we just kind of let it pass. And the reality is, is that that is not the voice of God. It's actually quite rare in our time to hear a clear sound. This is especially apparent in the church. I'm just going to call us out right now. Can I call us out? This is especially apparent in the church because I see such a lack of love for Scripture. I mean, the number one way that God's going to speak to us is through the Bible, and yet I I don't see a love for the Bible like I once saw. I look around at the body of Christ and people, it's like the Bible, you know, Getting to know the scripture and getting to find God, which is really what our goal is, is to find God in the pages. But what I see so often is that people see this as being kind of, you know, the Bible is, I I guess you could say, is it's it's not a, a required class. It's a, what's the word? It's an elective, 
right? We see the scripture almost like an elective. Like, after I've done everything else that's important to me in my life, after I've fulfilled all the other things I love, after I've fulfilled all my other relationships, after I've fulfilled everything else that I want to do, then if I have a little sliver of time, I'll read a couple of verses. And so we're walking around and we're people who haven't learned to attune our ear to God's voice in Scripture so that when He speaks, we don't recognize the sound. We haven't got familiar with His voice in Scripture. Ooh, that was heavy. It hit me right between the eyes. See, this is also true because we seem to put more, and more authority into what personalities, pundits, and so-called prophets are saying than we do in God's Word. I mean, here's a book. Think about it. I mean, we could get into this. We could talk about it for hours, but this book, 66 books written over about 15 to 1600 years by over 40 authors and yet there's this scarlet thread of redemption that runs from Genesis to Revelation. There's a unity of story. Prophets and people that were inspired and moved to write it down were from all over that part of the world at this time. And from, I think, it's, I think three different continents are represented in, in the transmission of Scripture. And when we look at how we got our Bibles, even that's miraculous. And, and so, so this is literally a holy awesome book and I know it's mysterious and I know it has things I was just talking to somebody recently and they're like man the Bible is tripping me out Uh, somebody I was speaking to that's in my family was like I get angry when I read the Bible yeah because the Bible reads you see we think that you know we're going to read the Bible and we're going to judge the Bible and we're going to decide whether or not this is really inspired and then we open it up and instead what happens is it reads us It comes to our life and it probes. It searches our heart and mind. It cuts to the the depths of the being. It's a sharp two-edged sword that divides our soul and our spirit, our joints, our marrow. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It opens us up and reads us and tells us who we really are and who God is. And we're in desperate need of hearing God's voice through it in the time that we live. Wow. And the leaders of that time lacked vision. Verse 2 says, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see. It seems that he lacked both natural and spiritual vision. He was not providing a clear vision of God and what he wants from his people. He'd become lazy and unwilling to provide courageous leadership to God's people. And into that atmosphere came a new leader and a new voice who was still a youth, a young prophet named Samuel. And that takes me to the second point, and this is really important. Now that we've had the heavy part, now we're going to get into the redemptive part, right? Dark times create those who love God's presence and God's voice. Dark times create those who love God's presence and God's voice. I I, I think one of the things that, again, has concerned me at times is the amount of fear and anger I hear coming from many of God's people. And, and the sound, not of hope, the sound, not of faith, the sound, not of love, but the sound of fear, hopelessness, despair, and anger and ready to make people enemies, not love. Now, what's the, what's the problem here? We're not hearing his voice, right? We're not hearing the sound of God in the time that we live. 
And here's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation, this darkness, this evil that's trying to overtake the plan of God. And God keeps rising up in the midst of the darkness and establishing his voice, establishing his victory. And every time it looks like the enemy is won, God sneaks in the back door and wins the battle. That's the story of Scripture. The redemption story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation is not, listen carefully to this, Revelation is not the book of the Antichrist and the beast and the mark of the beast and all that. That's not what it's about. The opening verses of Antichrist, of Antichrist, the opening verses of Revelation say this, a revelation of Jesus Christ and those things which must take place shortly. Opening lines of it. What's the purpose of the revelation? The purpose of the revelation is to show us Jesus with his people conquering the beast and the dragon and the serpent of old and conquering darkness and Babylon and all of it falling and the ultimate victory being in Jesus and his people. It's the story of God winning, not losing. It's the story of light rising in darkness and overcoming. And yet if you listen a lot to what's going on in God's people, there's all this fear and speculation. Is this the end? Is the Antichrist about to come on this scene? Oh my gosh, the tribulation's about to hit. Ah! People are afraid and I'm like, knock it off! Stop it! I wouldn't do that, but it's the way I felt inside, internally. That Batman and Robin meme. No! God's people win. God wins. That was free. Okay. See, let's talk about this boy Samuel. Samuel was a boy who had been dedicated to God and service in the temple by his mom. His mom was a woman named Hannah. And she was unable to have children and she began to pray fervently and she went to God's house and she prayed for a miracle and she said, Lord, if you give me a son, I promise I'll give him back to you. I'll give him to the temple. And so God answered her prayer and she conceived and she had a child. And after she weaned the child somewhere between two and three years old, she took this child to the temple and gave him to Eli, the priest, and said, he's yours now. You raise him in the house of God. And so then several years pass and Somewhere between probably the ages of 12 and 15, God speaks to Samuel. Josephus, the, the early historian, says that Hebrew tradition said that Samuel was 12 years old when the Lord spoke to him. And I want you to see several things about Samuel, and I'm going to close out here in just a couple minutes. But the first thing was, this boy Samuel, this youth, was near God's presence. Verse 3 says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The lamp of God was still lit because it was early in the morning and it had not gone out. This is symbolic of how dark things were in Israel, yet God's light was still flickering. You might look around right now and think it's really dark, but I want to assure you of something. There's a light you can't see. and God wants to open your eyes to it. It's a flickering light of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. And the God who wins with his people who win. There's a light still flickering, people. It hasn't gone out in the house of God. Even people who are critical of the church, and I know a lot these days, there's a whole deconstruction movement going on, and people are leaving the church, and they're mad at the church, and they're disappointed in the church, and the church has let them down. And, and, but, but here's the thing to be careful of, the idea that somehow it's all become so dark. No, 
God's always left a witness of himself, even if it's a flickering light. We know of Jesus. It says of him prophetically that he won't put out a smoldering wick. Even if it's nothing but a smoldering wick, he's going he's gonna to stoke that flame again. Even if it's a bent reed, the scripture says he won't break that bent reed. He'll bind it up. The nature of Jesus is to take, even if there's just a little bit left, to make the most of it. He loves his church, loves his people, and he's never lost a battle yet. As Pastor Ralph said, I think in the first service, he said something like he's, you know, seven trillion and O. Infinity and zero. That's our God's record. He never loses, even when it looks like he lost. We crucified him. We killed him. We put him behind a tomb. Good, we're done with this revolutionary. We're done with this crazy guy. We can wash our hands and walk away. And God's like, oh, yeah? Just wait for it. Another meme, right? Just wait for it. And three days later, a tomb is rolled away, and the only one to ever conquer death comes striding out before 500 over the course of 40 days preaching a new kingdom that's come that's going to conquer and win and grind every other kingdom to dust that's what the scripture teaches in Daniel no our God wins and his people win getting excited about this see some of you are like Samuel you love God's presence and you want to be as near to him as you can be your hunger's going to pay off. God's going to meet you and God's going to speak to you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. God's going to meet you. Maybe you're a young person in here and you feel like, you know, um, I know God talks to my parents. I don't know if he'll talk to me. Yes, he will. He spoke to Samuel. He'll speak to you and he wants to speak to you. He loves to speak to his people no matter what their age is. For the Lord says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your men servants and your maidservants shall prophesy and on the young and the old alike, on young men will have visions and old men will have dreams, right? The Lord's way is to pour his spirit out on every generation and to speak in each new generation, not to leave us without a witness, not leave us behind. I pray all the time, oh Lord, don't pass us by. Don't leave us behind. Come on, Lord, one more time in our generation right now, pour out your spirit and let that light shine and let the world see that Jesus is Lord. Will you believe that with me? I hate a defeatist theology. Thank you. Secondly, when God speaks to us, we may not recognize it. God speaks three times to Samuel, and he doesn't know it's God because it's a new experience. Sadly, it takes Eli three times as well to recognize that it must be God before he trains Samuel to listen. God often speaks to us when we're new in our journey and when we're not yet developed enough to recognize his voice. Even those who've walked a long time with him can become dull like, Eva, like Eli. Young and old alike need to stay sensitive to God's voice. Right? I mean, sometimes I'm unsure. I'm so grateful when I was a young Christian, I had people who had been on the journey longer than me, who stepped into my life and mentored me. 
And I remember going to early morning prayer meetings at 5 and 6 a.m. At, at the church I was a part of in Southern California. And then once we moved up here. And those early morning prayer meetings, being around saints who walked with God and knew God's voice and knew God's heart and read the Bible and prayed and fasted and sought God's face. I remember being around them. And as I was around them, something just kind of came into me. I absorbed through osmosis almost. I got up near people and something rubbed off on me. And it was this hunger, this thirst, this desire for God. And I started hearing God's voice like they heard God's voice and I remember the thrill. I'm finally starting to understand. And then I began to look back in hindsight, you know, 2020 hindsight, and I began to recognize God was talking to me for a long time before I ever recognized his voice. He was speaking to me. I just didn't know it was him. He was talking to me because it sounded familiar. See, we have to tune our ears to hear God's voice. It's like the child who was told by his father during a symphony orchestra concert. Hey, son, listen for the flutes in this song. Don't they sound beautiful? The child, unable to distinguish the flutes, looked up at his father with a puzzled look. What flutes, father? The, the child first needed to learn what flutes sound like on their own, separate from the whole orchestra, before he's able to hear them in a symphony. So it is with us as children of God. Unless we take the time to hear his voice in the quiet moments of life, we won't be able to hear him in the symphony sounds of life. Unless we learn to hear his voice in the company of others who are hearing his voice, we won't be able to recognize it, which takes me to the next point, and that is that God's voice may sound like the voice of our mentors. Have you ever picked up this from this text? This is really interesting. God's voice may sound like the voice of our mentors. It's interesting that Samuel mistakes God's voice for Eli's. As dull and blind as Eli had become, he still had enough authority as God's priest to mentor Samuel. God trains us in hearing his voice the same way. He puts people in our lives who become God's voice to us. They have a certain sound and quality to their walk with God that we recognize. When God begins to speak to us personally, it will carry that same sound or quality to it. We'll come to recognize God's voice because we've heard it through our mentors. Now listen, I'm not talking about an audible voice, though God can speak to you audibly. I'm not talking about an actual sound. I'm talking about a familiarity to a character and a nature that lines up with Scripture, that lines up with the, the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. It's like when you're around people that walk with God and love Scripture and love prayer and love the body of Christ and love the world around them. I'm not saying they're perfect. They still sin. They still blow it. But they've been learning. They've been on this journey and they're learning what it is to be forgiven and to be loved and to be a part of the family of God and to love His voice and to love the sound and the quality of who He is. When you're around people like that over a long period of time, what, what starts to happen is you, you, you notice things about their life and the things that they say that, that resonate, that, that are echoes of what Scripture says about people, uh, saints that lived hundreds and even thousands of years ago, the way they live, there are things that are, are similar, they're alike, right? And so what happens is you're, you're praying and you're seeking God and, and maybe you get a sound in your own spirit, the inner voice of God, or, or maybe you, you, know, you have a dream or, or maybe you're reading scripture and something comes alive to you and at that moment in your mind and in your heart you go, that's familiar. I've heard that sound before. That sounds like, have you ever heard yourself saying this? I, it sounds like something uh, one of my mentors in my life, David Miner, used to say and it's so true. That's like something my dad taught me as a Young Christian, it has that ring of truth to it. It's the sound of his voice. God speaks to people who don't yet know him. 
Verse 7 says, Samuel still didn't even know the Lord at this time. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He ministered to the Lord and he served Eli before he knew the Lord personally or his voice. Samuel was on a journey toward an intimate knowledge of God. He would become one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. The last time the Lord spoke in that three, four, four encounters, it actually took four. The last time the Lord spoke to him, he came and he stood with Samuel. This was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the form of a man. God spoke to him as a youth and it impacted him for the rest of his life. This, this was a Theophanes or a Christophanes experience. So God speaks three times. On the fourth time when Samuel says, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. Think about this. On the fourth, he had an even more intimate and real encounter. When he said, Lord, I'm listening and I'm ready to do what you want me to do, what happened? The Lord showed up. It says he came and stood and spoke to him. Most scholars believe that he came in the appearance in the form of a man, a Christophanes, a Theophanes, an Old Testament appearance of God, and he spoke with him face to face. See, each level led to a deeper place of intimacy. I'm not saying God's going to do that with us. He may never give any of us an experience like that, but he could. And that's not really the point. The point is, is Samuel was finally going not only to hear what God had to say, but to taste and see that he's good. Amen? And lastly, God speaks often if we determine to obey him. So right after this encounter with God's voice, God spoke to Samuel, and he said, Samuel, I, I, I just want you to know what's going to happen to Eli. Everything that I said would happen to Eli and his household is going to happen because Eli won't repent, and so that family is not going to be able to carry on my priesthood. And so the next morning, Eli wakes up, and he comes to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, uh, did the Lord speak to you last night? And Samuel says, yes, yes. What did he say? Don't, don't hold anything back. The Lord knows, don't you dare hold anything back. And so Samuel has to be the messenger and say, um, okay, the word of the Lord to you is you and your family are gonna be judged and the priesthood's not gonna continue in your family because you won't, you won't repent, you won't turn to God. And you know what Eli's response was? Oh, okay, sounds like the word of the Lord. Like, what the heck? Was your heart that hard and you were that dull? But Samuel because he was willing to speak what God had said to him and obey and follow through, the Lord began to speak to him like crazy. And he, as he grew up, um, the 19th verse of that same chapter says, as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. You see, when you listen, you get entrusted with more. When you listen and obey, you get entrusted with more. When you listen and obey, God starts to share his secrets with you. Did you know Psalm 25 says the secret of the Lord or the secret counsel of the Lord is with those who fear him? And that fear means a reverence and an awe of him. So here's the beautiful picture. The more God shares with us and the more we respond to him and we walk out what he shows us, the more he shares with us. And before you know it, he's telling us his secrets. He's telling us what he thinks about his world and people and redemption and his love for mankind. He's telling us all of that. How many of you want to know the secrets of the Lord? Come on. So I felt like I was supposed to pray for three groups of people as we close today. 
And I know I've gone a little bit over, so thank you for your patience. But I want to pray for three kinds of people. So go ahead and stand with me if you would. The first people I want to pray for are the people here maybe that have walked with God for a while and you feel like you've become kind of dull, right? Just kind of dull. I want to pray for you. The second group of people are the young people and the new converts, new people in Christ, who are learning to hear God's voice and you just don't want to get it wrong. And I know that can be scary, right? It's like, is that God or is that too much pizza? Is that God or, you know, is that just me wanting it really bad? Is that, you know, I, I want to pray for you. And the third group of people I want to pray for are those that are here that have never come to know this voice in a personal way. The person of the voice, the word made flesh, God in a bod, Jesus. You've never come to know Jesus. You don't know the one that's been crucified for your sin, atoned for your sin, carried your sin to the cross. You don't know him. You don't know the one who was buried in a grave and you were buried with him. The one who rose again from the dead and you rose with him. The one who ascended to the right hand of God and you ascend with him in a new life. You, you don't know that one yet, but you want to. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, he wants you to know when you leave here today that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're included, that you're in the family. He wants you to take that first step. And that first step is called faith. And faith is really simple. I trust that Christ alone and his work alone is enough for me. Not my own good works, not everything I can do. I'm not going to ever be good enough for, for his standard, which is holy perfection. But Jesus was good enough. And I'm going to trust Jesus and not myself. I'm not going to be my own savior. I'm going to trust Jesus to be my savior. I'm done with doing it on my own. I want to let him do it on my behalf. If that's you, I want to give you a chance to, to know him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. God loves you. Go with God. He goes with you. God bless you all.